Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help our listeners from Los Angeles to Long Island make the second half of life even better than the first. These are challenging times of stress, high anxiety, and trauma across our society. On top of the confusing pandemic and ever-divisive politics, we're coping with a constant litany of natural and man-made disasters, climate change, change, economic disruptions, and personal traumas and mental health issues. How do we create the resiliency we need to take on such traumatic times? In today's episode, Elaine Miller-Karras, co-founder of the Trauma Resource Institute, talks about her much-heralded work to bring healing to the world's community. Elaine, who has become known as the Ambassador of Hope, will talk about her widely recognized models to cultivate individual and community resilience, which have been brought to 75 countries across six continents. The author of Building Resiliency to Trauma, the Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, Elaine has trained community members, mental health, and health professionals in the aftermath of many disasters, from earthquakes in China and Haiti, typhoons in the Philippines, hurricanes in Louisiana, and mass shootings in California and Ohio. She is a leading advocate regarding the impact of climate change on the human condition and a senior consultant to Emory University's C Learning Program, inspired and launched by the Dalai Lama. Elaine will also tell us about her longstanding commitment to our military, working to destigmatize the impact of combat trauma, as well as her dedication to the world's children, working mm-hmm. in, with collaborators to develop interventions for children, parents, and teachers to help reduce the impact of childhood trauma that affects our health and well-being throughout life. Our mind and body are elegantly connected, Elaine notes, as we become aware of the wisdom of our body and draw mindful attention to the sensations connected to our well-being, a new world of healing becomes available to human beings across the lifespan. So now let's explore this new world of healing and meet today's guest, Elaine Miller-Karras. Elaine, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ron. I'm so glad to be here today. Yeah. I'm a little tired from listening to that interview, though. <laughs> that <big> introduction. <laughs> oh my gosh, have I really done all those things? I guess I have. <laughs> you really have. You really have. And I'm over 45, so that's probably why I have go. done all those things. Yes. Exactly. So, and, and so that's each chapter of our life has interesting tales. So actually, I wanted to start with that. Like, just to, to share a little bit of your journey, you have a fascinating journey, share a little bit of your journey with our listeners. Well, I guess, you know, I'm going to say that we have something in common is that we both have Latin roots. Right. And uh, I know yours is from Cuba and mine is from El Salvador. Right. And I have to say that that journey is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother and mother immigrated to this country during World War II. It's kind of hard for me to believe my mother was a Rosie the Riveter because she's a very elegant kind of person. I don't think she mm-hmm. lasted doing that very long. I think she quickly got a, um, a job at the St. Francis Hotel pouring coffee. And that was probably mm-hmm. more suited for her. But I think that that Latin roots for me gave um, me a perspective of community and a family that still is very much with me. And I also think that growing up in a family that had many colors, right, from very light skin to very dark skin and everything in between, also gave me a perception of how we walk in the world and how sometimes, and also with having a mom that had and grandmother that had very thick accents, how 
others treated them sometimes differently. Right. And I think some of the world, the work that I've done in the world is trying to see our common humanity right. and th- that we may maybe look differently. We may um, speak different languages. Uh, and certainly we need to respect the differences and realize what our advantages are. But also, how do we come together as a world community? Right. How do we cultivate common humanity so that we can be less divisive? And I think we've seen so much divisiveness in the last few years. Right. I certainly want to work towards how we can heal those those divides right, and come right. together. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, my yeah, my so my mom was Cuban, and actually, it was even more of a blend. So my father was half um, Mexican and half Hungarian. Oh my gosh! What a, and, what a, what a, what a combo! <laughs> right. So, and of course, they all met in Brooklyn. Where else? <laughs> <laughs> in big cities, right? And my parents met in San Francisco. There you go. <laughs> right, right, right. So I, I agree with you. I think that, and my mom, I, I remember. You know, when you're with someone, you know, as a child, you know, you just you just hear their voice, and she would always complain that, oh gosh, whenever people hear my accent, oh, then they they stop listening to me. And my first response, you know, when I was little, was your accent, mom, you don't have an accent. Well, of course you did. I totally know what you. I totally understand because when someone first told me that, I said, really? Because that was how we learned English was from our our mothers who spoke with an accent, right? We just thought that was normal. Right, right. Yeah. But in some ways, you know, learning English as a foreigner, my mother actually um, alerted me to a lot of um, grammar in English that she learned that was never taught to me in school. <laughs> you know, that, but it was, you know, there are certain things in, in Spanish, right? Learning the subjunctive case, which in English, then people don't even know what that means, you know. Yes. But in Spanish, it's very different. So that was a, yeah. So that's 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 really interesting, and and um, and I know that you had as a in a career perspective, you've also had an interesting journey, and 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 you did a number of things before founding the the Trauma Resource Institute in two thousand six, and interestingly, interestingly, I was making a career change at. 2005 at the same time, you know, really, oh my gosh, well, you know, I have had kind of an an interesting journey because I, if you would have told me, you know, you know, when I was in my thirties, oh, you're going to lead an international organization, ideas that you have are going to come to, you know, over 75 countries, I'd be saying, oh, well, in your dreams, I can't imagine me doing something like that. But I think that I've always had a dedication you know, to, to people and to helping people in different ways. But my very beginning roots, I, it's, I'm, you know, it's kind of different is that I was a childbirth educator at a doula. So I taught many people, you know, how to understand the rhythms of their body during childbirth. Right. And so when I think about how I ended up becoming a trauma therapist, those rhythms of the body that happen in childbirth are quite painful. And Mm. yet I would help people and be present with them in a very gentle way. And then that led me to, um, in my first two classes as a childbirth educator, um, two parents lost their, their babies. Wow. And we weren't really very well prepared. It's such a horrible tragedy when that happens. And I became very close to one of the families. Um, her, the baby's name was Andreas Gantert. I'll never forget his name because I do really think that his short life changed my life. Wow. And I um, tried to help the families as much as I can. I didn't really understand how every part of your being, children are not supposed to die before us, um, are impacted when you lose a precious baby, because babies are about the idealization of our future. And so this mom really helped me understand. And also I understood that we weren't doing such a great job in hospitals or in supporting families. Many times people were, you know, were given the, 
you know, kind of old adage, oh, um, it's God's will, or you can have other yeah. children, kind of not um, embracing the importance of that little being that was with us for such a short while. Right. So I started um, helping after neonatal death was called Hand of mm-hmm. Santa Clara County in California. It's still going on. I mean, this was in 1981. I mean, oh my gosh, it's a long time ago now. Right. Right. And I ran that for six years before I decided to continue and do my work um, becoming a social worker. Right. And really, my intentionality was to work in the area of you know perinatal health and helping to understand systems of how better to support families when these tragedies happen to them. And so that led me to my my internship. Uh, my graduate internship was at Stanford University's mm-hmm. uh, perinatal outreach program. And I worked with so many amazing people there, nurses, doctors that were really doing um, cutting edge work mm-hmm. about how to reduce perinatal morbidity and mortality. Right. And that experience really was life-altering. And I got to have an impact on that. So right. I, I was the behavioralist. So when you know a baby died, and of course, the doctors would talk about the medical aspects of that. I'd say, what is the toll? What is the experience for the parent? But not only the experience for the parent, but for the healthcare system. You right. know, nurses and doctors, and we can certainly see that during the pandemic, are very dedicated to the health of children and, right. and mothers and families. And that to see the vicarious trauma that also happened as a result of that. Right. And also, the, you know, the, really the importance of how we can come forward. <laughs> Sorry about the dogs. That's okay. Hopefully somebody will uh, get them to stop barking in my family. Um, but I think if we can, you know, we, I saw how the system worked right? and if we could help to provide interventions that could provide healing for um, not only the families, but for the healthcare providers. And I didn't know then all the things that I know now, that I know could have even helped my job way back then. Right. right. Um, so that was just an important segue yeah. um, in working in hospitals as a social worker. And then my husband got an opportunity to move to Southern California. And I left my job at Stanford and um, started the next part of my journey, right. which was so important. And that was as a teacher of family medicine at Arrowhead Regional Medical Center. Wow. Wow. So let's, um, there's a lot we could talk about here. So I, I just wanted to jump a little ahead to your founding of the TRI and just a little, talk a little bit about trauma and what the, the meaning is. I mean, I think it's interesting that, um, you know, during the pandemic, I've heard a lot more sort of general um, awareness of trauma in, in, in people's lives. So talk to me a little bit. About well, it is that. really important to talk about trauma for all of us. And I think we're also, there's some certain terms that we're starting to use, like toxic stress right. um, that can lead to trauma. But basically trauma is anything that may happen to you. It's your perception, right? That something mm-hmm. happens to you that could be life-threatening to yourself or to others. It can have something that we I say simply is too much too fast, maybe mm. a car accident, an earthquake, something that's unexpected, an assault, or it can be too little for too long like childhood neglect or domestic violence um, or too much for too long. I mean, I think we're getting to certainly experience that with the pandemic is we think, oh, we've turned a corner and then here comes Omicron. Um, and so for, for us as human beings, these you know storms keep happening. And I mean, storms aren't going to stop in my experience, but right. we could certainly change our perception. I guess what I was saying, we can certainly um, take a look at ourselves 
and bring certain kinds of awarenesses to, to each of us so that we can deal with the storms better that will always happen in the world. But I think what's been hard about the pandemic is so overarching, right? That this is impacting the world community. And then the other things that happen in life, like people still get heart attacks, have cancer. Um, They have, you know, there's been a lot of divisiveness in our social political world. And I've certainly had people, and it's happened in my own family, where we've had family gatherings forever. We've had different points of view about politics, but it's never been quite so rabid. And that's concerning to me, of course. How do we, how do we help with um, mitigating that kind of impact on our, on our communities? But so when we talk about trauma, um, I want to talk a little bit about how really started shifting my perspective. Right. And that sure. was working as a teacher of family medicine at Arrowhead Regional Medical Center, because I would be co-attending with the medical faculty. So my job was to train the young doctors about, okay, so what's happening in the person's life, helping them learn to screen for depression, for mm-hmm. trauma, for anxiety disorders, so that they could see the total person, not only the person who was coming with a stomach ache. Well, I wonder, is anything going on in that person's life? So many of the things that manifest mm-hmm. in our body physically that come to the primary care clinic had to do with life stresses, not necessarily that they had a brain tumor, for example. Right. And so when I started seeing the implications of working in an inner city in San Bernardino County and seeing that so many people that were coming into primary care, if you ask them what was happening in their life, they'd say, right. There was a drive-by. Oh, my son just shipped out to Iraq. Um, there's my um, my daughter is in a relationship with a man and he's beating her. So all those wow. kinds of stresses impact us as human beings. That is trauma. And along that time, this was in the um, 90s, um, there was a very important study that was um, published that was done at Kaiser Permanente by Dr. Folletti. Um, and that study was about how adverse child experiences mm-hmm. impact the human being throughout the lifetime. And what they discovered is that when people had four or more adverse child experiences, when they took that information and then looked at their healthcare charts, mm-hmm. that if you had four or more, you had greater chance of developing diabetes, heart disease, pulmonary disease. If you had six or more, your chances of becoming an IV drug abuser were 4,200 times greater than people who had zero ACEs. And also your lifespan was cut by 20 years. I mean, 20 years. I'm like um, 60 compared to, I don't know, 60.1 compared to, I guess, 80. But what that showed us, that was a public health emergency. As a mental health provider, I knew those things existed. Mm -hmm. But when the Mm -hmm. public health system got this, and this is why the trauma definitions are so important. They started saying, well, this is happening. If a child is, you know, experiencing a parent that let's say is incarcerated or has a mental health condition, or if they've, if they're physically or emotionally sexually abused, those things not only impact them when they're children, but it in fact impacts their physiology and their mind and body wellness. Wow. Um, and so if that is true, which we know now is true, because right. there's been many studies about this, um, and it's now many places in the United States and the world have task force working about how to reduce the impact of um, adverse child experiences on children. I mean, that is a that is a very important mind-body connection. Right. So when we talk about mental health, we really have to talk about mind-body health. Right, right. Because we can't, you know, you know, it's like, what is it? I think, therefore I am. I think Descartes said that. So, right. you know, we're just not, you know, above the, we're just not a talking head. We're an integrated system. 
Right. And so exactly. when we think about trauma and toxic stress, there are physiological side effects that happen right. with the release of the stress response and, and, and also hormones that are meant for short acting. That's kind of like the, the foot is on the accelerator of our nervous system, pumping all these um, uh, hormones that are supposed right. to be for just a short period of time. But if yeah. they're too long lasting, then it has all these deleterious impacts. Right. So, so let's, right, yes, yeah, let's, let's just hold that thought because we're going to take a quick break. Oh, it's a break time already. Oh my gosh. Yes, I know. We're so we're going to take for 18 minutes. I know. Wow. We're, going to, we're going to take a <laughs> okay. quick break and we'll right. be right back folks uh, in two minutes. Don't go away. We're back with much more from Elaine Miller Karras. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking today with Elaine Miller-Karras, the co-founder and director of innovation of the Trauma Resource Institute and the author of the book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, a Trauma and Community Resiliency Models. So before the break, we were talking to Elaine, and she was talking about what are known as ACEs, which is actually <laughs> adverse childhood experiences, not not the way you usually think about ACEs, but that's that's what the acronym stands for. And so, but basically, the impact of uh, trauma during childhood on, on throughout our life. And what I wanted to do is is actually uh, take this uh, conversation to her her model of of dealing with the resilience. Um, and, and using these models. Um, and, you know, she talk, we were talking about, you know, the connection between mind and body. And then also you have a very interesting connection between the individual and the community in terms of, yeah. you know, building resiliency. So let's talk about these two models you have. Okay, so, and that's a perfect segue from talking about ACEs because when I learned about ACEs and started working with the doctors and then started doing more research and learned about people who were really investigating in, a, um, in an academic way, the connection between the mind and body, I, I started looking at different models. Um, mm-hmm. One of them was somatic experiencing. One of them was the work of Bessel van der Kolk, the work of Pat Ogden. These are all kind of pioneers in that mind-body connection. Right. But one of the things that, um, that I learned from learning about these different models was the, in my estimation, as brilliant as they are, when I would go to trainings, they were mainly middle and upper middle class therapists mm-hmm. training mainly uh, uh, folks that were going to be bringing this to their their private psychotherapy practices. And remember, mm-hmm. I was working in community and really with community mental health. So my my 
my idea was, what about accessibility? And I met a wonderful woman named Jeannie Everett in my, and she was uh, an old scrub nurse as well mm-hmm. as um, uh, a, a practitioner of a mind-body-based model. And she and I had the good fortune of being invited to go to Thailand and one of Thailand's really darkest moments during the tsunami mm-hmm. of 2000 it happened at the end of 2004. We went in the very beginning in January of 2005. And we thought, well, what if we could bring and also tie some other ideas into a short term model? So that wouldn't take a long time to learn mm-hmm. that we could bring to the masses. So if you were a social worker working like I was in San Bernardino County, how could you learn these skills that you could integrate them and maybe help the doctors learn them so the doctors could teach them to their to their patients? But what if you also then could um, bring them in other ways, not just post-disaster, but then it kind of morphed into um, a wellness practice. Mm-hmm. And Jeannie went off to do something else. We created, our first model was called Trauma First Aid. Um, she taught, she started trauma first aid associates. And I went on with, um, another person and created, um, the trauma resource Institute with the intention of bringing this to make a model accessible, affordable, adaptable, and transportable. And that's the community resiliency model, but that really came out of a mental health services act, the state of California, mm-hmm. where they knew I was doing work in Haiti. And they said, well, could you bring this to San Bernardino? And I said, well, yeah, well, I've got an RFP on my desk, Elaine, why don't you write for it? And I go, okay, we'll do it. And we, and it was really one of the hardest things I've ever done mm-hmm. that three years of the, um, of that um, innovation project, but out of it came such important information. Right. So let me just tell you a little bit about what the community resiliency model yeah. is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Would that be helpful? Yeah, so, I'd like to just yeah. spell it out, how it works. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it's a set of six wellness skills. Mm-hmm. And it's based on the premise that there's a biological response to stressful and traumatic events that's common to all humanity. And this is an important part. So whether you live in Brooklyn, you grew up in Brooklyn, whether I grew up in, in the Bay Area of California, you know, our nervous systems are designed in the same way, or even if we're in Nepal or if we're in Tanzania, or if we're in Northern Ireland, different places that I've been, that when there is a stressful or traumatic event, we respond in this in a very similar way. And that means there's common reactions physically, spiritually, cognitively, emotionally, and behaviorally, and in relationship to one another. And I've asked the same six questions literally all over the world. How are things been different since this event happened in the way that you see people think? People have said people are more forgetful. People sometimes have distorted thoughts about people are out to get them. I mean, it's been, I have to say, it's been very humbling, Mm -hmm. but it's also been in some ways, oh my gosh, we're so connected as a Mm -hmm. world community Mm -hmm. because we have these same um, responses. So that's been part of the model. And so using this you know, this, um, uh, these ideas that there are biological responses. So what we've done is kind of what I will call a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm, So the mm -hmm. trauma, right. We talked about earlier is what's happened to us. So that's important that we realize that some of our behaviors are because of trauma, not because we're bad people or we're weak people. We certainly can do things that aren't good for us and others, but the etiology is similar. But then if we say, okay, what if we learned wellness skills that could mitigate, that could reduce the impacts of adverse child experiences, for example, so that anyone could learn them, that Ron, I could teach them to you, even though you've been a journalist in your life, right? In fact, journalists need this because you sometimes have to touch 
very difficult subjects and hear right. very and witness very difficult stories. But also, what if we could help teachers know about this and, and children? And what about ministers? So the and what I'm what I'm leading to about the model is that these six wellness skills that we've created are, are very easy to learn. And I also saw as I traveled not only within the United States, but outside the United States, is that you know the many very there's very few sometimes mental health providers. When I was in Haiti in, in Hench after their earthquake of 2010, there was one psychologist at the hospital. And she and she told me, she goes, I think I'm the only mental health provider for 60,000 people. Well, mm-hmm. obviously, how can you reach 60,000 people, right? right? So then my idea was, because I saw there were many natural leaders in Haiti that were the go-to person mm-hmm. that people would go and talk to when they had trouble because they already had natural healing skills, right? And right. so what if you equip them with um, wellness skills? Because these wellness skills are based on neuroscience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a theory called Hebden's theory that when, what you pay it, um, uh, neurons or brain cells that fire together, wire together. Hmm. So that means the more that you pay attention to well-being, it expands and grows. And what if we could give this in the hands of those natural leaders all over the world? And how might that change the impacts of these storms that happen to all of us throughout the world? And so that's how some of this started formulating from San Bernardino County that I'll always be grateful for to then saying, oh, we could bring this here and we can bring this there. And, and what would that be like? And that's how we are in 75 countries. I haven't gone to 75 countries, but I've trained people. Our organization has trained people to be what we call community resiliency model teachers, right. because then you're teaching people how to fish, right? Right. And then they keep fishing. And I have right. to tell you, I've been so humbled right. by what people have shared with me about how they've taken these skills and brought it to the community that they have a special affinity to. Right. Yeah, I think that we're becoming more aware of this, but unfortunately, I think it happens, you know, in a kind of sporadic way and, and usually in response to some crisis. So, right. Now, what is what is one of the big things? Well, school shootings, right. That's or these mass shootings or whatever. So. People, I think, are a little more attuned to bring in mental health counselors after one of these incidents. But I think if we realize that, as you said before, traumas don't go away. They always happen. Crises happen. Things happen. They will happen. Um, and, and so to be prepared with these skills in a general way, I think, is a really interesting notion that you know, it's sort of like a you know, crisis or emergency planning, but in a you know, in a in, in specifically this arena of, of dealing with, you know, mental and, and, and physical health. Uh, I think that's a really um, interesting twist that you've developed. And, and it goes across the lifespan too. So, uh, and, and, you know, another area, of course, which is, you know, we've talked about more, especially starting in Vietnam, is the post-traumatic stress disorders, you know, yes. that those sorts of issues. So we're aware of that. And I know you've done work in that area too. Yeah. So. Well, I think that, you know, my dad was uh, served in the, in the Navy mm-hmm. and he, um, my dad had had a lot of trauma as a kid. He didn't talk about it much. You know, that right. generation didn't talk about things much, but right. I, uh, from my deep love and appreciation from him, and he was a recovered alcoholic. I'm very grateful to say before he died, he was a very big devotee of AA, which of course changed not only him, but our entire family, because mm. that, you know, his wellness 
really did, you know, expand out to the rest of us. Right. But I think that when we, uh, when I first started working in this area, I ran across a number of different individuals too that come to mind are Dr. Bill Cross, who works up in your neck of the woods up in Syracuse, New York, um, who's an amazing, he went to, um, uh, he went to, oh gosh, what's the, um, he he was the graduate of the the university there, the, um, for, Gosh, I can't think of the name of it right now. But anyway, we um, we will we will think about before I, okay. I leave here. But he's been a, he was a Vietnam veteran who had definitely post traumatic stress from that war. And then I also met a young man named Mark Dust, who was getting his degree in business from Claremont Graduate University. And really knowing both of them at the same time um, really helped me understand more about the impact of of the, of these two wars, in some mm-hmm. ways the impact was similar. There were also differences because as, as we're the same generation, Ron, is that the Vietnam um, veteran wasn't embraced as they came back from war. Correct. In fact, yeah. you know, there are many stories that Bill shared with me about people spitting on them and, and here they had just left such a, a horrible situation. I think it was definitely different for Mark but there were similarities in that something happened to them that when they came back to civilian life, you just couldn't switch the button mm-hmm. and say, oh, now I'm back being dad and you know working in my community because the, um, the imprint, the, the wake of war was within their nervous system. And so helping them learn the community resiliency model, I, they would both say, and I, I, I did a show with them actually recently, they would say it was really life altering for them because if they were um, got a reminder, let's say that there was a backfire of a car and all of a sudden they start to shake. You know, the body implicitly has this um, part of our brain called the amygdala that fires an alarm saying, "Uh uh-oh, you could be in war again. Of course, you're just, you know, you're just in the part of New York or the part of California that he lived in. It was just a backfire of a car, but the nervous system responds as if it's a threat. Right. And then it starts the whole cascade of shaking, of being afraid, and what if you could all of a sudden pause and say, oh, let me do one of these wellness skills. It could be as simple as, you know, feeling my bottom in the chair of my car as I'm mm-hmm. driving. And all of a sudden I come to a present moment awareness. And all of a sudden my, my body continues to shake, but it's a different kind of shaking. It shakes out the distress of the system. And I feel my nervous system coming back into balance. Mm. So that story has been repeated over and over to me through people that we have, um, we have trained who have either been in the military or have left the military and are veterans. And this kind of um, intervention, what's important about it is that it's so user-friendly. You don't have to have a therapist there Mm -hmm. to learn these skills. You can do it on your own because, you know, there you are, you know, driving to Disneyland and all of a sudden there's a sound of a backfire and all of a sudden you feel like you're back in Iraq. I mean, the, you, you can't just necessarily call your therapist and say, help <laughs> right. me, right? But right. if you learn these skills for yourself, and this is what's been so important for all people who've, who've experienced all sorts of traumas in their life, they are empowered to right. use these for themselves in the present moment. And we even have an app called iChill. It's free. And they, wow. you could download it. If anybody's listening, going, you can download it for free uh-huh. and listen and learn the skills through the app. Wow. I chill. It's just, I chill. I chill. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that, you know, I, so I, I think this is really important because I think that, as you said before, you know, um, mostly men, probably men and women, but mostly men in our, our parents' generation just didn't talk about this, you know, no. about the war and about, 
in many ways, the, the traumas of earlier life. I think it was, you know, there is this sort of notion that, you know, the rugged American, you know, you, yeah, he even goes through these things. Hey, you, you know what? Get over it, you know? And I think that that's, you know, that's not helpful. <laughs> I mean, in other words, yeah. you don't let it, uh, you know, control your life. You direct it, but there are ways you can intervene and manage it and acknowledge it. Um, you know, I, and I think that's really an, an important shift in direction. And it's not just, you know, pandering to people's weaknesses. It's basically accommodating their strengths or taking advantage of their strengths to get through traumas that affect all of us. Well, you're talking my language because I often say that, you know, what happened to you impacted your nervous system. It's mm -hmm. impacted your biology, but that has nothing to do with you being a weak person. Um, it has nothing to do with pathology. And this is where I'm trying to shift that paradigm into, into helping people understand common reactions. That doesn't mean that they may not need help from a, a licensed mental health professional. I'm certainly one of those, mm -hmm. but I think that many people would never go to see a, a licensed mental health professional, but they might go see their minister or their neighbor down the street. Right. And if that person's equipped with some ideas to help that person, we'd have a greater, I think, you know, when you think about scalability, right. a greater scale, I hope, I wish it was in the water, <laughs> right? That people right. have these, right. this right. way of helping themselves and sharing it with another person. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to head to another break, Elaine. Um, but um, I want people to come back. We have a lot more to talk about in the last section. It's a little bit shorter, so I'm going to try to pack it in. Uh, but before we go to break, I just wanted to mention one thing, which is uh, that um, you have a, a website, um, resiliencywithin.com. Is that right? Yes. And so, people can, they can go to resiliencywithin.com and also to the trauma resource institute.com, which is the nonprofit that I founded that actually has workshops every single month on the CRIM skills if people want to learn them. Okay. And if anybody wants to become a community resiliency model teacher, okay. we have monthly um, uh, teacher trainings okay. and people can learn more about our work. And they actually can listen to a webinar where they right. can learn the simple skills for free. Okay, great. So now we're going to take our break, uh, but don't go anywhere, folks. Uh, we have one more dynamic segment with Elaine Miller-Karras coming up. So don't go away. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking today with Elaine Miller-Karras, the co-founder and director of innovation of the Trauma Research Insti Resource Institute. 
Uh, and before the break, we were talking about um, dealing with traumas and resiliency models. Uh, I wanted to just uh, you know ask Elaine about some of her more interesting um, uh, adventures. So one that, working with the Dalai adventures. Yeah, <laughs> when, when I'm working with the Dalai Lama, tell, tell me about that. Well, I mean, I didn't. You know, I worked with people that work with him. Okay, you know, but I but his he was he's inspired this. Um, mm-hmm. So um, His Holiness really believed that he wanted to um, be inspired, a secular Mm -hmm. curriculum for Mm -hmm. schools where children would learn about compassion, ethical thinking. Um, How do we cultivate children maybe to not be in these divisive ways that we are right now? And so he is connected to Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, Mm -hmm. um, to a center there. And one of the principal people who was in charge of putting this curriculum together uh, a few years ago, his name is Brendan Ozawa Silva. Um, He's still at Emory. Um, He also, he had become a community resiliency model teacher. Um, And he was working in in the prison system um, at that time. And if he was here, he'd tell you that he was using some other techniques like mindfulness and he didn't find it as effective Mm. as he was hoping they would be. But when he stumbled across the community resiliency model that the that the people that were the inmates really took to it and felt that it really helped them. And of course, the goal is to try to get people out of prison so that they can lead lives where they don't get themselves into trouble again. So Brendan, who was then in charge of this most important project, he's quite a brilliant man. Um, I can say on many fronts, but I was so grateful that he had been trained in the community resiliency model. He said, he called me and he said, Elaine, you know, that they've been working on the curriculum, but they don't have the body um, integrated. And I think what you're doing, your work could be easily integrated into this curriculum, and then we could mm-hmm. share it across the world. So they flew me out to Atlanta, and I met with the people at the center, really fabulous people that um, great ideas, Geshela, who's the, the uh, founder of the center. And they asked me many questions about why this might be useful. And so I was so delighted that after that conversation, another conversation, they decided, and we, and I actually, we gave to them, mm-hmm. um, a free license to use the model, the community resiliency model in their curriculum. It's actually called chapter two in the curriculum. Um, It's called C-Learning, Social, Emotional, and Ethical Learning Program. If any of your listeners want to know about it, then just go to Emory University and put Mm -hmm. C-Learning. And it is a free curriculum. So if you work with a school, if your child is in a school and you really are interested in the curriculum, you can go there and take their, um, that this, these courses for free. So I'm so proud to be involved with that. And in 2019, before the pandemic, they did a launch of, um, the, uh, sea learning in new Delhi, of course, then the, his holiness could be there. So I was, uh, invited of course, to go. I had a lot of responsibilities, um, there, and I had the delightful day of my life of having lunch, not only my, it was not just me, but a number of other people having lunch with his holiness. And I have to say that being in his presence, the energy from him is so um, powerful hmm. and it's really goodness, goodness and happiness and, and such a, uh, uh, an intellect, which is right. so clear when you're in his presence and the conversations wow. that, that ensue. Um, but I have to say being there, and it was one of the things I do want to share with you is Mm -hmm. I had the honor um, with my friend, Lindy, um, to to interview the children on stage Mm. for the launch. And these children were from a school um, that 
all these children were from the slums of New Delhi. And what I asked, we were at, we, were, we asked them, what did they like about the curriculum? What would they change? And one of the little boys said, oh, what I like is chapter two, which of course I was very delighted to hear. And I said, and so I asked him, I said, well, what was it about chapter two that he liked? And he said, well, he goes, my mother, um, one of his parents died and his other parent was a drug addict and his two brothers still lived in the slum. And he was the lucky one that was chosen to go to the school. And so he said, sometimes I get so sad. The sad just, you know, I would say that he envelops him. Mm-hmm. He goes, but now I know how to read my nervous system. It's called tracking. That's the second skill, the first skill of the model. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and when I can feel the sadness in my arms, I go and I push against the wall. I do a help now strategy. And I can feel the sadness slowly dripping away enough so that I can go back and study and learn. I have to tell you that moment. Besides meeting his holiness was probably the most profound to me because this is the hands of a child that certainly was dealt a very difficult hand in life and has the opportunity to learn, but most importantly, how to deal with emotions that can be overwhelming so that he can continue to learn. Yeah. So for that, I am so grateful that I've had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it's so interesting to me. Of course, my show is 45 forward because uh, I'm focusing on helping people sort of, there's a lot of structure earlier in your life, but then when you reach middle age, you need to kind of rethink your structure as you head toward the latter chapters of your life. But there's such connections to earlier in life and they're really just, you know, being able to go back and forth and reflect on these different chapters and how they influence you. You know, I, I in one of my previous shows and I was talking about my own lessons learned, you know, I talked about, um, you know, um, a, a, an occasion I had uh, years ago in Northern California to go to a spa with a friend of mine. And basically one of the treatments there was just to go in very, very cold water and very hot water mm-hmm. and back to back, back to back. And I recalled, you know, him, my friend telling me, well, you know what, after a little while, you won't be able to tell the difference. And I said, oh, really? Come on. But it was true. And, I, and that's what I think about life sometimes is that, you know, you're, you're, you're here in the present, but the past is right there with you. And sometimes the future is there with you and you can't tell the difference. It's all part of your life. But, you know, so being able to make the connections that you do between earlier life and later life, I think is really valuable. I think it's all interconnected. I always think about everything that I've done in the past influence what I'm doing right now. But I also want to share with your listeners is that I didn't start the Trauma Resource Institute until I was 54 years of age. Mm. So I can say that it's been 15 years of immense learning, lots of suffering, Mm. lots of joy, the whole enchilada, as I like to say, of of life experience. But if any of you are thinking out there, oh, I'm in middle age and I have an idea, I'm saying go for it. Right. Right. Who knows? You may have lunch with who knows who. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. if you would have told me when I was 54 and starting that I would go to India and be invited to a lunch with the Dalai Lama, I don't think I would believe it. And I feel right. so honored and humbled yeah. that I had yeah. that opportunity. Right. Now, a, a lot of the skills you're talking about, the, are these in your book then? In the... They are in my book, Building right. Resilience to Trauma. I'm mm-hmm. working on the second edition that hopefully will be published sometime in 2022. Right. My galleys are due to my publisher Rutledge uh, in June, and I'm working very diligently right. to update the book right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to mention while we're on that the book, and I mentioned earlier your website, resiliencywithin.com, but I'm honored that also Elaine and I are, are colleagues on the Voice America Network. So she, just so you know, too, we're back-to-back brother-sister. <laughs> her, her show comes on 
right, I guess, on the West Coast uh, before mine, right? Or, or right after mine, I think. Well, I'm not sure, but I know mine's at one o'clock Pacific time on Mondays. Right. Okay. So mine's noon Pacific time on Mondays. So. Oh my gosh. So we're back to back. You so we are could back. listen to both. They could listen that's to right. yours and they, then mine. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So that's, so her show is also Resiliency Within. Uh, if you go to the, the um, voiceamerica.com and just search for her show, you can see her show. And like mine, you can listen to it live, but also all her shows are, are podcasts that you can go to uh, their episode archive on, on the side of her Facebook or page. So uh, don't don't miss that opportunity. Also, um, so we we have a, a few more minutes to talk about some things. So one of the, one of the things I found interesting was, uh, I guess, more along your community resiliency model, but talking about climate change and how that affects people and how they react to it, and 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 how your model fits into that. Well, so many things that happen with climate change, and we've been, um, of course, I we responded to the the uh, terrible fire that was in Paradise, mm. California. I've you know responded to typhoons in the Philippines, but the human toll of climate change is something that we cannot forget. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, when governmental forces are coming together, they're thinking a lot about the infrastructures of how to shore them up. Um, there sometimes is, of course, um, also thinking about the mental health of the community. Right. But so many people are impacted. We really have to think outside the box. So there's an organization that the that I'm a founding member of. It's called the International Transformation Resilience Co- Coalition, ITRC. And mm-hmm. if any of your listeners are you know, interested, they can go and, and Google that and learn more about the, the work that we're doing to try to bring more attention to the human toll of climate change. Um, Bob Doppelt is the person who really has been leading the effort. He is really a leading expert in the world about climate change. And I'm very proud to be part of that organization trying to bring that forward. But it's it's very, you know, you look at all the things that have happened, what just happened in Kentucky. We just had a terrible windstorm in my little town of Claremont in this part of Southern California. Thankfully that we didn't lose any lives, but we lost a lot of trees. I've never seen a windstorm like that. Right. Where huge trees have, have fallen um, throughout our community. So I know that what we are learning from the scientists is this is gonna continue to happen. Yeah. So that as a world community, I think it's important that we really think about you know, how to help put in the hands of our citizenry tools and skills that can help them to what is going to be coming. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I think it keeps coming. I think in my area, um, several years ago, there was a super storm Sandy. It wasn't by the time it reached us, it wasn't even a hurricane, but the damage it caused. And I just remember looking at our, my property and my mother's property, the number of trees that were you know, large trees. It was just devastating and, and learning how to really cope with that. And, and, and just, um, you know, the effect of the, on the community overall, where you were really immobilized, you know, um, and, and, you know, thinking about when they're talk about the social isolation of the pandemic, but there was, you know, this unexpected, you know, um, separateness, there were, there, no communication systems were up. Uh, you couldn't get around. It was literally a tree in the middle of my driveway. So even though we we thought we were prepared, we had our cars all gassed up. You couldn't get out. So right, right. And so I, you know, so I've been working on another project that's just kind of um, beginning to take bigger shape. Mm-hmm. It's called Dream Crim, oh. and it is about how we can um, mobilize communities now before it hits, so that you can right. have your um, 
community resiliency model teachers already boots on the ground so that when that disaster comes, that you already have people there. You don't have to fly people in from someplace else or zoom them in for someone someplace else. You've got them right there. And I'm, we're very proud of our work with New Hanover County in North Carolina. They were just given an award by the National Council of Counties mm. for their work with resiliency strategies. Ours was one of them, but they have right. now a complete community response that they've built into their wow. system where all stakeholders are coming together. No, it's called Dream Crib. Is that what you're saying? It's called Dream Crib. That's D D R M C R M, and okay. it is. And we'll you'll be hearing more from it. And um, you know, stay tuned to our websites, Resiliency Within, as well as um, the Trauma Resource Institute, because I'm I'm per- currently working on developing a um, developing that. Wow, that's great. That's great. Wow. Well, we could have a whole other show and we will sometime soon. Oh, um, Devon, it's but, been an honor to meet you and to hear about your work. And, yeah, and so yeah. I'm going to invite you right now to come to my show as well. Okay. So we'll have to figure out a date and a time. Invitation accepted. So okay. great. So listen, uh, I, I know there's much more to talk about. We're going to probably have to leave it there today. Um, so Elaine, if people want to reach you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, they can reach me at Elaine at resiliencywithin.com if they want to send me an email or they can go to resiliency within to the, um, to my website. Um, they can also reach me through the trauma resource Institute. Great. Great. And, uh, again, folks, she has uh, her own resiliency within show on voiceamerica.com. Um, and if, if you missed today's show, folks, you can still catch up with it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com uh, or search for my show um, on my um, uh, Robel Resources website. Just click on the 45 Forward tab and you can find more about Elaine's background and, and history on there. And you can find it also on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Heart Radio. Um, and if you want to send comments to me about my show, uh, email me at ron.roel at gmail.com. So folks, uh, be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Holly Gordon and Ward Cooper. It's, they're an improbable pairing of distinguished artists, one who is a photographer, another painter who collaborated on a book project called Parallel Perspectives. So until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.